Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast for Epilogue 1, Chapter 12. Tolstoy says that servants are the most reliable judges of their masters because they judge not by conversations. Oops, I clicked on something. Not by conversations and expressions of feelings, but by acts and manners of life. Do you think this is true? Do you think there is a modern equivalent of this kind of judge of a person's character? Ubiquitons says the comment about judging people by their reaction by their actions kind of reminds me of the saying that you watch how your friends treat people in the service industry. Some people like to think they're kind or caring or good, but then don't show respect to people they don't have to respect. I wonder why Nikolai works less on the estate when Pierre is around. I think um, maybe he enjoys Pierre's company. Is that why? He any. He, or is it that he doesn't enjoy his wife's company and he uses the estate as an excuse to um, you know, to not spend time with her but then when Pierre's there there's that kind of buffer there maybe Twisted Every Way says we're just over 95% complete for the novel can you, guys, can you believe it guys? I can't believe I'm going to finish yeah, well done the question in the prompt, it makes sense. The servants don't really speak or have long conversations with their masters, so they can't judge them on intelligence or eloquence or witness. They judge them by how they act towards others, or perhaps how they themselves are even treated. Yeah, it kind of makes sense to me. I like that Pierre is still someone who brightens the place up, you know? That wasn't just a young man trait. It wasn't just because he was young and ambitious and full of life that he would bring so much energy to everywhere that he went. I like that it remains still and and everyone from every aspect of the household is excited for him to be coming home. Um... FDLP1 says, Ongoing frustration with Tolstoy's near-end development for his female characters expressed in this chapter by the entire household being patronising towards Countess, who has become a pathetic creature. Yeah, there is a lot of these kind of like nosy old lady type ladies, the kind of worthless old lady type ladies who, you know, you just have to be polite to them and or whatever. Um, but not so many... Oh, actually, no, we did have some old men who needed to be dealt with too old man Bolkonski comes to mind and old man um, Bezikov anywho uh, yeah I don't know it's just a sad stage of life isn't it when you're the old person and um, I re- the thing that really connected to me was like that I think it was one of the later lines where it's like oh this is the last line only the really heartless the stupid ones of that household and the children failed to understand this and avoided her so only the people who are really stupid or heartless would avoid the old lady and children too because they don't understand but the smart people recognize that you know she was once a, a, a more I don't know complete member of society 
Chapter 13 goes like this. When Pierre and his wife entered the drawing room, the Countess was in one of her customary states in which she needed the mental exertion of playing patience, and so, though by force of habit, she greeted him with the words she always used when Pierre or her son returned after an absence. High time, my dear, high time. We were all weary of waiting for you. Well, thank God. And received her presence with another customary remark. It's not the gift that's precious, my dear, but that you give it to me, an old woman. Yet it was evident that she was not pleased to Pierre's arrival at that moment when it diverted her attention from the unfinished game. She finished her game of patience and only then examined the presents. They consisted of a box of cards of splendid workmanship, a bright blue Sevres teacup with Shepherdesses depicted on it, and with a lid, and a gold snuff box with the Count's portrait on the lid, which Pierre had had done by a miniaturist in Petersburg. The Countess had long wished for such a box, but as she did not want to cry just then, she glanced indifferently at the portrait and gave her attention chiefly to the box for cards. Thank you, my dear. You have cheered me up, she said, as she always did. But best of all, you have brought yourself back, for I never saw anything like it. You ought to give your wife a scolding. What are we to do with her? She is like a madwoman when you are away. Doesn't see anything, doesn't remember anything. She went on repeating her usual phrases. Look, Anna Timofeevna, she added to her companion. See what a box for cards my son has brought us? <coughs> Excuse me. Belova admired the presents and was delighted with the dress material. Though Pierre, Natasha, Nicholas, Countess Mary and Denisov had much to talk about that they could not discuss before the old Countess, not that anything was hidden from her, but because she had dropped so far behind hand in many things that had they begun to converse in her presence, they would have had to answer inopportune questions and to repeat what they had already told her many times, that so-and-so was dead and so-and-so was married, which she would again be unable to remember. Yet they sat at tea round the samovar in the drawing room from habit and Pierre answered the Countess's questions as to whether Prince Vasily had aged and whether Countess Mary Alexeevna had sent greetings and still thought of them and other matters that interested no one and to which she herself was indifferent. Conversation of this kind, interesting to no one yet unavoidable, continued all through the tea time. All the grown-up members of the family were assembled near the round tea table at which Sonia presided beside the samovar, the children with their tutors and governesses had had tea, and their voices were audible from the next room. At tea, all sat in their accustomed places, Nicholas beside the stove at a small table where his tea was handed to him, Milka, the old grey borzoi bitch, daughter of the first Milka, with a quiet grey face and large black eyes that seemed more prominent than ever, lay on the armchair beside him. Denisov, whose curly hair, moustache and whiskers had half turned grey, sat beside Countess Mary with his general's tunic unbuttoned. Pierre sat beside his wife and the old countess. He spoke of what he knew might interest the old lady and that he could understand. He told her of external social events and of the people who had formed the circle of her contemporaries and had once been a real living and distinct group, but who were now, for the most part, scattered about the world and like herself were garnering the last year ears of the harvests they had sown in earlier years. But to the old countess, those contemporaries of hers seemed to be the only serious and real society. Natasha saw by Pierre's animation that his visit had been interesting and that he had much to tell them. 
but dare not say it before the old countess. Denisov, not being a member of the family, did not understand Pierre's caution and being, as a malcontent, much interested in what was occurring in Petersburg, kept urging Pierre to tell them about what had happened in the Semensk, Semensk regiment, then about Arakchiv, and then about the Bible Society. Once or twice Pierre was carried away and began to speak of these things, but Nicholas and Natasha always brought him back to the health of Prince Ivan and Countess Mary Alexeevna. Well, in all this idiocy, Gosner and Tatarivnova, Denisov asked, is that really still going on? Going on, Pierre exclaimed. Why, more than ever, the Bible Society is the whole government now. What is that, mon cher ami? asked the Countess, who had finished her tea and evidently needed a pretext for being angry after her meal. What are you saying about the government? I don't understand. Well, you know, my man, Nicholas interposed, knowing how to translate things into his mother's language. Prince Alexander Golitsyn has founded a society and in consequence has great influence, they say. Arakchev and Golitsyn, incautiously remarked Pierre, are now the whole government. And what a government. They see treason everywhere and are afraid of everything. Well, and how is Prince Alexander to blame? He is a most estimable man. I used to meet him with at Mary Antonovna's, said the Countess in an offended tone, and still more offended that they all remained silent. She went on, nowadays everyone finds fault, a gospel society, well, and what harm is there in that? And she rose, everybody else got up too, and with a severe expression sailed back to her table in the sitting room. The melancholy silence that followed was broken by the sounds of the children's voices and laughter from the next room. Evidently some jolly excitement was going on there. Finished, finished, little Natasha gleefully yelled. Little Natasha's gleeful yell rose above them all. Pierre exchanged glances with Countess Mary and Nicholas. Natasha, he never lost sight of, and smiled happily. That's delightful music, said he. It means that Anna Makaronovna has finished her stocking, said Countess Mary. Oh, I'll go and see, said Pierre, jumping up. You know, he added, stopping at the door, why, I'm especially fond of that music. It is always the first thing that tells me all is well. When I was driving here today, the nearer I got to the house, the more anxious I grew. As I entered the anteroom, I heard Adrusha's peals of laughter, and that meant that all was well. I know, I know that feeling, said Nicholas, but I must, mustn't go there. Those stockings are to be a surprise for me. Pierre went to the children, and the shouting and laughter grew still louder. Come, Anna Makarovna, Pierre's voice was heard saying. Come here into the middle of the room, and at the word of command, one, two, and when I say three, you stand here, and you in my arms, while well, now, one, two, said Pierre, and a silence followed. Three, and a rapturously breathless cry of children's voices filled the room. Two, two, they shouted. This meant two stockings, which by a secret process known only to herself, Anna Makarovna used to knit at the same time on the same needles, and which, when they were ready, she always triumphantly drew one out of the other in the children's presence. Alright, there we go, another chapter done. Lovely. Lovely family time. Thanks for listening, guys. See you tomorrow.